the Damaged Goods Podcast. supposed to mix we met up with some girl he knew that was a sommelier at the tallest building downtown la i forget the name of it some baller like fancy bar lounge you can only get into like we got in because she was working there and then we're so we're drinking like white wine and i'm drinking white wine and 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 then she's giving us champagne except earlier in the day after surfing we made some road sodas of fucking vodka and then i had a mojito and he had tequila so we're mixing it all up oh that's daytime, and then and then the and then the fucking white wine and the champagne. Then we go back to her crib, dude. The next day, after surfing and then like sleeping five hours, the next day, it was rough. And then there was there was beers in there too, just just really not adhering to any good protocol. It was great though, but but you know, I didn't have to work that weekend. I didn't have to work Super Bowl weekend like some people, you know. So I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how was it? Oh man, uh, this this most recent Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. Here, get close up on that mic. Oh, hold on a second, dude. Yeah, how was how was this one? I mean, this one was amazing, you know. Uh, For, wait, first one that you worked? It was second, second. Second one. I also worked uh, on fifty five last year um, with the team. Uh, yeah, man, it w- it was super interesting, especially because it was at SoFi in LA. That stadium, for what it is, is just a is just a wild presentation. It looks like and a spaceship on yeah, that side, dude. Totally, it man. looks like some crazy spaceship. Alien ship. Yeah, and it was you know, and it and it it kicks off midday. It kicks off at like three thirty. So, um, you know, there was like there was an energy, but it was like this afternoon, like well lit energy. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know, growing up as a kid, I I was definitely always into the Super Bowls ever since you know the eighties, you know, Pats in the eighties versus the Bears and and all that stuff. And uh, so for me, just Super Bowl in general was just always a special energy. And to be able to be there, I mean, I felt more blessed, you know, to be able to be in that position with the people that I love and work with um, more than anything, you know. I mean, you know, mostly working in, in live music, what's what's the different trade-off uh, experience-wise when you work in like a big-ass sporting event? Because I've worked in live music, but yeah. I've never, ever yeah. done anything like with sports like that. Yeah, there was like, there was two sides to it because obviously... You know, we had some music elements to it too, and like stage ele- yeah, elements yeah. to it too. Halftime shows. So it was, it was kind of a combination of two things: um, having like a DJ stage in the end zone, and then also, I mean, the way I look at that Super Bowl as a broadcast, it, it, to me, it's like I equate it more to the award shows, like live performance award shows, because. I spent years working on those, and that was like the original reference of, of television and broadcast to me. And live sports feels more like that than the way that live music production feels. You know what I mean? I can um, see the parallels in that, yeah. But there is a massive audience, and there was a ton of energy. Yeah, dude, that's a lot you know? of motherfuckers. What's the biggest crowd you've ever been in front of? Oh, man. Um I mean, definitely some crowds around the world have been massive um, in China, Korea, Japan, uh, Argentina. Um, but I would definitely say, I mean, one of the largest crowds, main stage Coachella with Porter, Rob- Porter yeah. Robinson and Maddion at the time that that happened what? was just like, and seeing like drone shots of that was just incredible. You know, they said that that was in like the, you know, 70,000, 75,000 something. Uh, and that was just, you know, massive at the time. I had seen crowd. massive uh, 
really massive crowds like in the early years with the bloody beetroots like 2011 2012 in places like sweden and areas of france zurich like those i mean those crowds were like huge and rowdy it's it's crazy to be you know feeding off energy on that magnitude it is something it is like it's like a powerful feeling it's like lightning bolts hitting all your receptors you know and i'm addicted to that feeling how could you not be, dude? Yeah. You know, like uh, that, that addict voice you're listening to this week on Damaged Goods is, uh, by the way, not only a good friend of mine, but he's a uh, uh, production manager and producer extraordinaire. The man, Eric Gennady, my man, E-Skills. Um, thanks for having me, bro. Oh, dude, thanks for coming, dude. Um, and, and, you know, knowing what you do and like, you know, I've worked in live music myself, but not on a production manager level like of that, but just being around that, like it is extremely addictive. Like, how could you? It's like going anything where else is such a drop in energy. Few things can match it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, I mean, for me, there's so much build up to that as well in terms of pre production and preparation. It's like the fun that, anxiety. That the process is, there's a lot of process prior to that. And then getting to that is really the finish line. Like, for me, it's definitely an addiction to get there and, and, and feel the synergy of that energy coming from the crowd to the stage and stuff like that. Um, but I also think that those are the moments of calm in a lot of ways because all the work has been done leading up to that. And, and obviously you have to be able to roll out on stage and you know technically be ready to perform. And, and that requires a lot changing over from one band to another. And that, I think that moment is the biggest challenge. Also one of the addictions too. Is, is the challenge of being able to change over and know a strategy of how you're going to, you know, go from one band to the next. Whether it's your band or whether it's, you know, you're the stage manager of that stage for that festival or whatever, and you're actually orchestrating the, t- the timetables of all bands, you know. Yeah. It's like um, working under some kind of pressure like that. You know, it's not for everybody, but the people it is for, or I, the people that are for it, is something about it, like like a hyper focus you get into, you know, it's like super stressful. This is a big moment. Fucking up can mean a lot. Um, but like some people, clearly you, uh, are able to just hone in on this, this task, this goal, everything else just disappears from your mind. It's like some kind of weird meditative state where you just have to fucking be acting so fast, like, like clockwork and, and just know everything and then be ready to fucking think on your feet. God forbid something happens. And the, the rush from that though, like, cause I've experienced that, it's like I can't operate without that. A mundane, like picture E-Skills, picture Eric Kennedy going to a nine-to-five office gig that's like very stable, no ups and downs, but like in, in, it's hard. You got to be smart, but it's not like right now if you don't do this, shit is over. You know, like I, I can't function like that because I like functioning the way you're talking about. Like yeah. those intense, stressful moments. Yeah, I enjoy those too. I enjoy like the the physical challenge aspect of it dating back you know to watching double dare and mark summers and shit but have to mark summers. <laughs> big fan of the podcast mark summers <laughs> sick um but yeah man i i'm definitely into all that like with this changeover thing like for myself my brother you know I, and i was mentored by some people to be able to understand how to do these things to begin with but that changeover is like a challenge that you think about for weeks leading up to and, and think about the things that have to happen both physically with risers and technically with, you know, everything from, you know, every aspect of a lighting video, special effects, uh, you know, the audio portion of it, having everything up and running. Um, there's like a lot of steps to it that you think about and you have a pre-show anxiety about it. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think pre-show anxiety is a good that's thing. That's what I was going to say. This you know? is a, one of those good anxieties, right? It kind of well, keeps you on not, your toes. I don't know if it it's like good. necessarily – it feels good, but it I like mean, doesn't well, feel you good. Use it for you know good. what feels he, better? You use it when for the good. Sh- when the set's sure. over yeah, and you're yeah, like, work. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, the, you know what feels better? It only feels good because you were stressing earlier. Yeah, of course. But that's all – I think that that's – you know, at the root of it, I think that's the high. You know, I think that's the high. Yeah. The, the pre-show anxiety is the high. It's without extreme the need adversity for the show, and Without success. the need to yeah. perform, without the need to, you know, move with precision and be on point about being ready to fucking slam dunk, you know, a live show in front of whatever thousands of people you said. You know, that's definitely a rush. Yeah. It's, it's like some kind of power that, you know... I mean that we we all trip off power in different ways. You know the big businessman buying the other guy's business, or the the artist on stage for a few hundred people, whatever it is. You know the fucking tow truck guy towing your car. Like there's we all trip off on some power in our on our careers, our passions, our jobs, or whatever. And like when you when you just you just handle some shit most people couldn't handle, and and provided yeah. something for a, a couple hundred thousand or whatever, like you know fifty thousand people. Whatever it is, you provided like this incredible show for right. him. You know, I mean, the artist performing this too, but you're making it happen. A very responsible part of that whole fucking mechanism. You know what's ironic is like when what is ironic? when we when we first met each other, you know, in our youth, which yeah. was probably around you know the seventeen or eight, probably eighteen or nineteen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, twenty five for the record, <laughs> not that yeah. long ago. The um. I that pre-show anxiety and anxiety and the, and just the performance uh, aspect of it that I got back then, ironically because we're doing a podcast was being on the radio. Yeah, yeah. You know, being on the radio night, was baby. yeah. W E R S. And 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 first it was Northeastern radio. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, first we were at W R B B with Evil Earn yeah. do, uh, oh, hosting yeah. this radio show that we called the Fire Engine. That was the shit. And the reason we caught it was double <laughs> entendre for us because everything that we were playing was straight flames. Right. But also we figured that at some point actual <laughs> sirens would go <laughs> off because of the things that we were I doing forgot. on campus. And we were just like, yeah, when that when that moment comes, it's basically gone in 60 seconds. Yo. Dude, radio is the best. I mean, like, ah, there's something real fun about it, especially when you have a little more freedom than a very structured radio, you yeah. know? Totally. I mean, it definitely, I pre- I bet you a lot that uh, your experience on radio not only helped you with, like, that pre-show anxiety, but when you do, like, what you do on the road now, yeah. you're kind of commanding troops in a way. You're like, got this, you have a leadership role. I mean, there were so many things about back then at 21 years old being the music director yeah. at ERS that I was doing, like, off my sidekick, um, I was talking to managers and labels and things like and promoters and and stuff like that back then to be able to schedule appearances, schedule performances at the station. You know, get the most recent music, and you know we work we work together on that with a lot of people. And like you know, just even just talking, dude, you're good at you're like a lot of people have on the podcast. Not all of them do something where they talk or hear themselves talk, and it psychs people out sometimes, or they feel timid. But like. Being on the radio, dude, you know, like that fucking you're talking to thousands of people and shit. And then so when you go to these venues and like when you're talking to the local crew or like a new crew that you're working with or just even dudes you've been with for years. Yeah. Like, you know how to speak to different kinds of people, groups of people. And it's that's not easy for people. You have well, to, that's the key, you know? you know, like, you know, if we want to talk about stage management and production management, because that's what we were talking about. Um, yeah. The ability to uh, give clear and precise direction to a group of 
stage labor and also like you know with your touring technicians who are, who are more specialized but the the movements especially of those big pieces is is literally being loud and being the person who's timing the movements you know we're moving state you know we're moving nine feet stage left on my call you know you have to be able to be able to do that and and you know do it accurately authoritatively too you know people have to like respect you not 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 like on some dictatorship but like you know your communication has to be direct with people i imagine yeah well you have to earn the respect of every single uh stage crew that you approach you obviously earn the respect of the people that you tour with and stuff like that over time. But every stage and that you uh, come to, whether it's like in your own country, in your own city or in another country or city, is just a level of professionalism, respect. Cur- you know, you're courteous and you like introduce yourself to, to the main players. And, you, you know, you treat everyone as professionals because at the end of the day, they are specializing and doing what they're doing, you know. And that's how you can move these groups to do things you know, on the precise schedule that need to happen for the bands and the DJs and stuff like that. I know something like, you know, from touring with dudes around the world, like especially especially people that are older than me that have been on the road way longer than yeah. I was. Uh, you know, when, whether it's different regions of this country or different countries around the world, you know, there's certain places they like going more than others and some that they dread. And not for yeah. not the country itself or whatever, but working the show in this yeah. place, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's the actual venue layout can just be a nightmare, but sometimes, like, they know this, you know, house rep and, and, the, and the locals there and stuff uh, not to be the best to work with or, or whatever. Sure. Uh, is there a place for e-skills around the globe or possibly right here in the U.S. of A. where you just really don't, I mean... Where I don't like to yeah, go? Yeah, you don't have to say nobody's names unless you're feeling real... No, fun. no, no. There are definitely <laughs> places I don't like to go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I got my nightmare venues, but for different reasons than, you know, other... you or, It depends on what your, your role is out there. But some people just, oh, it's going to be like dragging ass to get these guys to do anything. Yeah, I mean... Or in you're, gen- you know how many permits say, and shit you What I can have. say is, like, in general, my... Like... Myself and my brother have a general disdain for the tenderloin. Oh so yeah, I, it's a fucking so anytime like playing the Warfield, it's brutal there, dude. Yeah, it's like anytime I'm at any San of those, Francisco. any of those, like even at Bill Graham, like Bill Graham is a, is a glorious place to play oh, in front of seven thousand people. But at the end of the day, when you step outside, you get any human shit might fly in the air. I mean, we've never gone there where something hasn't been broken into, where something uh, hasn't been stolen. Uh, um, that, and it's just there's a long. You know, we used to do, uh, me and Bubba used to do, you know, we started out on Street Team, obviously, and we Genesis, used to, we right did yeah. stencils, you know, not only for labels, but we were up in San Francisco doing stencils for Levi's at like three, four in the morning in the Tenderloin, like oh, literally so making up songs totally about cool. the Tenderloin, like singing them while whistling while we work, you know what I mean? Like, dude, that's, it's a, it's a... It's like it's like a video game when you get to one of those levels where you're still trying Dude. to just kill the bad guys, but there's now there's these weird other bad guy robot things coming from the left because you're working the gig, but you got to deal with like crackheads jumping up in the merch truck or literally people like throwing shit at each other or just prostitutes getting oh, all man. the business. Check, Dude, the bus was parked uh, next to the venue in San Francisco, and it was like in an alley, and we were getting on the bus with the Fillmore or which one? We were loading out. Um, nah, it wasn't the Fillmore. It the Warfield, um, right there. In no, the no, no. Um, the name will come to me um, in a second because it changed names. Oh. But um, we were about to get on the bus, man, and and this guy on a bike was heading down on the sidewalk to go between the exit door and the bus, and I flashed my light on him, man, and it was this 
butt naked dude with shit literally smeared on him riding this fucking banana bike. Oh, no. And we were all just kind of like, whoa. Nobody, yo, like, nobody wants a part of that. Step back, man. You know what I mean? And we were just like, man, this is San Francisco and we got to get out of here. Uh, dude. Literally, as we're pulling off, like, dude, this is God's honest truth. As we're pulling off, a bum dropped trowel right in front of the Let door as it's closing and started fucking doing his thing. Oh, as man. like a going away present, man. That, that's San Francisco for you. Yeah, it is. It's 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 been like that for a while too, because that I imagine was probably like at least five six years ago. Oh so no, more eight. than that. That was hey, like a dozen so like, years. It's ago. been like that for a while. It's not a new thing either. It's crazy. no, no. Yeah, Frisco is definitely up not there. I don't, I don't particularly like doing some of those gigs there. I know. I'd like, rather talk about where we like. Yeah, yeah yo, look yeah. at you, Mister Glass Half Full, <laughs> man. I'm trying to give people the fucking the you know the. I bodies. actually like to go everywhere. Yeah, no, because I mean, dude, why wouldn't you? I've always liked. I, there's certain venues I do know to be like a, a obstacles. The way the venues lay out, maybe or something. Oh, yeah. That can be just oh, like tonight. Man. You don't get wings on the dude, stage, you, you, or you know, whatever. I know you. You toured with a bunch of dudes. You ever been to the Aragon in Chicago? Yes, I have. That's a pain in the ass. So the only way the to ballroom, the baby. only way to load in there is there's like literally an exterior elevator with no. No walls on it that yeah. literally comes down oh, from the, the second worst. floor window down into the alley, and you unload on a, on like this loading dock there, and you can only it's, put about six yeah, or eight forever, cases bro. on the it thing, not forever. even, and then it goes up to the window <laughs> and it goes inside. It's like yeah, dude, when you literally have two hundred and forty cases it takes all day, dude, you're barely making showtime. It's like like the Fillmore in Frisco going up the back way that that small thing. Too. And the thing about it is like you know, when I started touring specifically <laughs> in electronic like music which was in like 2011, that was also the revolution of bringing massive video, oh, bigger oh, so lighting rigs, yeah. and all, and like just getting crazier with it. Like after, Two trucks after Daft Punk and after, you know, Justice were doing these killer shows, you know, everyone was, um, you know, using a production budget to, to, to do a killer show as well. Yeah. And that's when we started kind of, you know, uh, you know, one of the LDs that I used to work with used to say, you know, we're bringing a 20, trying to uh, fit 20 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. <laughs> you know, like that's literally what it was. We come into venues and have the biggest production that they had ever seen there. Yeah, they wasn't So immediately those, you know, the whole, uh, all the stagehands aren't feeling me. Like 15 stagehands yeah. are like, oh, damn. Once they, they see they all the cases come today. off the truck. Yeah, 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 exactly. And in general, they hadn't seen anything that big. And and at that point, that's when leadership really kicks in. Like, that's when I you had to get start talking to them and be like, no, yeah. listen, like, this is going to be literally the, like, I would say this is going to be the, I know it's a long day, but this is going to be the best show you've seen in here. And you probably don't believe it now, yeah. but You'll talk to me in the loadout. Yeah. Just talk to me in the loadout. And literally every time I said that, they would come up and be like, yo, this was the best thing that's come. Like, that was crazy. That's good, you know. Man. And it was because we were pushing the envelope with these massive, you know, video walls and these huge lighting rigs and doing these really synchronized, like, crazy shows with, with wild visuals and, you know, banging fucking tunes. And it yeah. was a great energy, you know. And that was a real boom, not only in the world, but in the United States. Like, in, yeah. in like, 2012, 2011, Certainly. that's when, like, you know what I mean? Do you feel like... Like I, I saw that too, and I thought about it. And actually, uh, a mutual friend of ours, shout out to Pro too. Uh, we had a discussion about this back then, kind of thinking, you know, sometimes things Pro go Tuesday. 
is is Thursday, I think. I don't know what day it is, but we were talking about how music goes in cycles, like things go in cycles, not just music, but like even like drug use. And we were noticing that like in the early 90s, you know, there was like raves and like like electronic music and like 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 ecstasy. There was jungle. Yeah, the kids yeah. were where we live. Yeah, yeah, drum kids and bass. Kids were real and in the drum and bass. Yeah, drum and bass and jungle. And yeah. jungle. And they would do a lot of ecstasy and shit, certain drugs. And then I saw right around and, the time and ketamine. Oh like, yeah, K. I was originally. I to this day I've never done K. There's some in the drawer over there if you I want. It. I'm not even shitting you. It's I, four years old. Though, I was so. introduced to it back then in those you know 1997, 96. A lot of rave kids when shit where the shit. kids and uh, yeah. you know going to jungle raves. Yeah, were fucking yeah. getting in K holes yeah. while we were Just drinking beer. We were hearts, drinking forty ounce beers and, and we'd be like, Yo, what's uh this Dude. dude's deal? They're into that. And like, yo, when you're talking about like that 2000, whatever the, the years that you're talking about, you've seen electronic music and big shows get popular in yeah, the States. Yeah, 2011, 2012. The, that that like drugs, like Molly kind of came back in, which is, you know, ecstasy, really. It just comes back into play too. And there's the, it's like cyclical and, you know, like, I don't know. And like rock has like cycles and shit. I don't know. It's just everything kind of does and stuff. It's interesting. I'll, I'll, I mean, music trends definitely Yeah, have psychedelics cycles. kind of gotten back popular again. They no, I agree while. with you. I mean... You know, we were doing shrooms in high school. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Prone Tube. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like then I just kind of like laid off that for years, you know, maybe yeah, a couple same. years of college, but too. then it kind of went away. And then these days, everybody's like, yeah. I got shrooms, I got shrooms. I'm like, yo, Shut what the? the? There's literally, more shrooms around now. Yeah. Dude, my boy was literally putting them in my mouth last week, like forcing them into my mouth. The thing about though, you want to talk about physical anxiety. You want to talk about. Physical. The thing about those is, uh, you, you know, got, uh, like if I was ever stressing in life, I would be always hesitant to to, to each like, oh gosh, shit is not going good right now. I don't want to accentuate it in my mind and be, take some acid. Or man, shrooms, let me tell you, know? you, the first time, only because you know, the first time me and my homies ever did those together, we were at Noah's house near mm. Forest Hills. Oh yeah, and we, you know, we walked Shots out to the nice. arboretum, you know, because that's where, at where we had to go, and. uh Man, on the walk back, when we came back into the apartment, somebody had snuck in the apartment and turned all the pictures and posters and lamps and everything upside down. And so when we first flicked the lights on, we felt like we were standing on the ceiling for like, literally like, (laughs) dude, not like a millisecond, like 30 seconds. We were yelling, I'm I'm on the ceiling. What's going on? What the fuck? Until we finally figured it out, you know what I mean. Did someone actually do that, or were you guys? Someone shipping? actually did that, yeah. Yo, it's the I, first time. I, I like ever pranks are fun, dude. Pranks are fun. You need. I <laughs> it mean, was. It's a, a good prank. That was an elaborate prank. Yeah, that's a really like well, homeboy spent the entire time. I respect the dedication. You want to hear an elaborate prank? When I used to live in Biltmore, my boy JB moved in for a while, and he would just drink and stay out late drinking. And we'd be at the crib, me special blend, my boy Noah skills, and JB would just be drinking and coming home wasted late. We're like, yo. Let's go. We got. I had this idea. So we go to fucking the store twenty four, and we buy mad gay porno magazines, like magazines. And we go, we go in his bedroom, and we rip out like every single page of these magazines and tape them on the walls, like covered every inch of the walls. Who's I mean, wall did you my boy JB, our roommates yeah. at the time, we're like 24, 25. I mean, four walls covered in in men on men porno magazines in his That's... room. And he came home drunk. He doesn't remember coming home. He wakes up in the morning. And it sounds balls. aggressive. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, he let it rock for a week to show he was a good sport. A week? Yeah, it's. Fun. That's he, he's a really <laughs> he, good sport. He was probably also too hungover at the time to maybe take him down for a week. 
too yeah. ugly. Yeah. Take him down. Do you keep hearing, apologies, listeners, if you hear a goddamn truck backing up. I don't know who the fuck's got a truck outside. Beep. It's beep. definitely not FedEx because yeah. they don't accomplish Dude. any of the deliveries I, I, they I was, you paid for them to I do. I was sitting on my porch and they didn't even knock on my door over no. the fucking fence. And then you got an email. Box comes flying. Dude. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, at my house, they don't even knock on the door. You just get an email that says, uh, hey, we tried. Miss Delivery. And I'm yeah. like, I was tried. sitting here at the front door just with knock, the door bro. open. Just Both knock. my dogs would have barked if you even attempted yeah, to come up here. Watch dogs, man. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, for those, uh, like, if you're listening, envision the cutest little pugs. Those are easy French dogs. Bulldogs. French bulldogs. My bad. I don't know dogs. They're I literally bullies. know two They're kinds bullies. of dogs. I know pit bulls and I know golden retrievers, and I don't know any of the other Well, ones. the cousins of the pit bulls. Of the oh. French Bulldog. Okay, so, but they're really cute dogs. Uh, but they're small. I don't know. Are they ferocious wash dogs? Do you feel like they can smell the Terminators? Yeah, they can definitely smell them. And they're, and they're, they're shredded. They're both shredded. They are tough. They're they look shredded. like they bench you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they, they Keto can move. Diets. Like, I'd be surprised. I mean, I think if we made like a movie about Frankie and Sharky, that they would be the heroes. You know what I mean? Cartoon? Like, let's be Animated? Honest. Let's be honest. That'd be kind of either Pixar? One. Either one. They do look like they work out a lot of upper body strength, dude. They're Shred. jacked. Shred. Not like some fat, lazy-ass dogs all breathing Because they're hard. always pulling the leash, you know what I mean? And that's how I get my forearm and bicep. Dude, I remember, yeah. yo, East Kills used to always, for years, have, like, boxing shit in the crib, dude. You were, like, boxer styles, dude. Yeah, I definitely was into that for, for a minute. <laughs> Shout out to getting back onto it. But um, I, I feel like, man, you can get in a real zen state. Doing a heavy bag workout Hell where yeah. you're not even really hitting the bag. Yeah, it's, it's just more about it, footwork, the movement, and to- moving your torso. Yeah, and get like, your heart jacked. About in a good like, way. you know being fluid about the actual boxing moves, yeah. and you know being precise about overhand rights. And there's a lot of people who just do boxing workouts strictly for the exercise workout. They're never trying to box per se. Totally, yeah, jump or, rope is like one of the psh, best things. I can't do. jump rope for shit, bro. I'm terrible. I used to be big into jump rope. Yeah. I gotta get back on it. Dude, East Coast, you straight up were like the fighter, dude. Move over, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> this dude had the fucking the arena in there, dude. I loved it, dude. Getting yeah, ready yeah. to go on the road. That's why I trained you to stay. You always, like to be on the road and, and running big shows, you gotta be in good shape. It's it's a stamina game. And although there we all have seen some big boys on tour that still make it work, you know, big, big ass fat motherfuckers. Well, for people that don't know, literally, this is what touring's like. If you're on a tour where you literally have shows every night and they're sold out, which is pretty much how these things work, um, you know, you roll up on the bus, get out the bunk at, let's say, 8 a.m. For for you, yeah, yeah, right, at least. And you walk in and you you do what's called, uh, you know, chalking the stage, which is essentially, you know, we meet up with the production manager, stage manager, and head rigger from that house or you know we have rigors of our own and then we take a look where all of the points that were, are going to be flown in the grid uh you know to hang everything in that theater or in that arena or whatever are all there and then that's when you run the motors first you know what i mean so you hang the motors first everything comes after that yeah it's a it's a long day and yeah. le- and if we think about that starting at 8 or 9 a.m which generally it does yeah. and then you have a show time you know you have doors of let's call it 8 p.m., right? Yeah, that's late. And then that's the sh- late let's say the too. show ends at midnight or yeah. 1 or in some cases later. Yeah. You got to load that out for three hours. We're talking about getting back on the bus, usually 3, 4 in the morning. Yeah. The bus starts going to the next city, yeah. you know, uh, Cleveland to Detroit. Yeah. And the thing is, when, you know, it hits 8 again, I'm up and at him again. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times on those long bus tours, you know, the crew is getting 
literally three hours a night. It's tough. You yeah. know, every night. Yeah, some dudes can break off for like a, there's a nap time for some roles in the daytime. Not your role. No nap times for you. Unless you're really not good usually, yeah. not usually, and here it, this goes back to having twenty pounds of shit in a five pound bag. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna name when, the episode of that when you <laughs> when you bring like you know into a theater a massive production that could also pre- like you know it's yeah. it's scaled because you scaled it to be able to be in these places, but yeah. you know it's at scaled to the inch of what you can have in yeah, there, yeah. and then you have this massive thing, you know what I mean? And it's... It's tiring. I mean, dude, another... It takes a long day to put it up, Another, and it takes a long <laughs> night to take it down. Dude, you have been training for that, though, when you were younger. When E was younger, he was a vendor at Fenway Park, which is like on your feet, carrying shit, oh, yeah. talking to crowds again. There True. you go, talking to crowds True. again, dude. See, you've been working True. towards this your whole life, dude. This is like yeah. your uh, destiny of some kind. It's like a Van Damme Seagal movie in the 80s, like the mystic one, where he pretends to be like uh, yeah. Native American or some shit. Seagal always pretended to be something else. But anyway. Yeah, ironically, uh, when I was born in 1981, my father was a producer on the radio oh, at, at, at WBZ oh, hell in Boston. Yeah. I didn't know that. He worked on the Larry Glick Show, which was a very well-known show on AM radio at the time, and it actually extended, you know, beyond Boston. In, in yeah. some ways, it was like you know syndicated. Um, but anyway, long story short, they kind of like they an- shout out to my dad for shouting me out and getting a shout out when I was born. And uh, ever since then, even when I was a kid, I always felt like, you know, broadcast journalism or being on the radio or specifically, you know, music oriented radio was always, you know, something that I was into. Yeah, and dude. so I always wanted to, you know, study, um, be like an orator. Yeah, know yeah. I, mean? I, I feel you on that. I like, don't do that much these days other than, like you said, do, give stage but direction. Still, but you're doing that but to a yeah. different crowd every yeah. night, you know? I mean, we talk about the locals, you know? I mean, I, 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 I. I like hearing you, you know, your story, talk about it, and just knowing you personally because I myself am an orator, so I can recognize the qualities in another person. Yeah. And like, we have some other f- friends that are not orators, but they they do different things, you know. And like, right. I, I, that's cool. But like, when I can understand it, I have like a, uh, I guess, more appreciation for it because I I understand yeah, right. the intimacy of it all. Well, me and you have a lot of similarities. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. We, that's why we always hit it off from the beginning. Yeah, I like I, he did play my body double in the new movie, the new biopic coming out. <laughs> well, Michael Bay directed. I mean, going back to the early days of the of the radio stuff and being able to be on a radio station as well run and as easy to listen to in that region as you know WRS. And we was. were listening to that. We were kids before you even on. That was the coolest yeah. part. Yeah, I mean that's that radio station schooled us to you know Tribe De La Soul, Nas Cube, yeah. like way back. This is uh, you know what this I mean? tell people for people who don't know eighty eight nine WERS is E. Like tell them what that is, what that was essentially. Yeah, so like I mean I like to equate it. Emerson College's you know radio program was something like basketball at Kentucky you know what I mean yeah. it, it didn't have that kind of uh you know lore to it but it was a it was a program that if you had interest in radio like that's where you would go and you know a lot of people came out of there um and a lot of comedians came out yeah, of Emerson yeah. in general like very notable ones um but anyway uh back to ERS yeah so so back then you know we were doing real things and and having live we had a live performance studio connected to the yeah. radio live music so you week. could bring in yeah and, and so live annually you have live music week and bring in a whole that and, and that goes back to before we were talking about like coordinating and yeah. scheduling artists and speaking to their management and labels and and stuff like that to be able to you know schedule those artists to come in pro bono back then and have a full lineup all week of some like heavy hitters you know 
And then by the time I was like around senior year, that's when I started realizing if I went down in New York and rented a studio down there, you could get even more artists to come in and do even oh, more performances. Yeah. We kind of did like a pre-record of some things yeah. down there to just create more outreach, you know? And I, I was like coming out of pocket to do that back then, you know? You guys did like basketball tournaments, three on three yeah, tournaments and shit. I, I, it felt Shout like, out to Chris Plunkett for making the flyer C for that Plunk, one. Dude. Uh, you, the Chris, B ball breakdown. See, Chris Plunkett is a great artist. He should come out here again and instead of going crazy. And Shout out to out JCO town. for yeah. DJing the B, the B ball oh, yeah. breakdown. Come on this podcast, Chris Plunkett. I mean, I, you made ERS at least 88, 99 for very included uh, part of the community. Like, I think it should be, you know, like, I like that you can do music events with the community, and basketball yeah. tournaments, shit yeah. like that. I don't know. It was a it was a beautiful thing at, it, for a long time. It, well, know, that was my first introduction. Uh, you know, 88, 9 and Night was my first introduction. Again, being mentored by other music directors and program directors ahead of me who kind of like showed me, you know, there was a, we created like a standard of excellence for yeah. the type of material that would be on the shows, whether it was national or local. Yeah. And it would always be a little of both, but you couldn't just be, you know, at that time there were a lot of people recording a lot of material and doing shows. And it was very active on the local mm -hmm. scene of like performance yeah, and not sure. every, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry that made a record at that time who thought that they should get airplay yeah. should have got airplay. And that was, a, that was the big... Constant battle with you, probably. Well, the reality was, you know, raising the standard raised the quality of the show, and this pertains to anything that you create. Yeah. And um, when we raised the standard and only had, you know, good music and were really invested in playing good music and strategic about it, then people had a better experience and it was more special when you did come on a live music yeah. week or something like that. And and, and it showed earned. the numbers yeah. then showed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It it was sad to me when like that that shit came apart recently, like the eighty eight nine. Yeah, no, I know. It and it's crazy because the excitement stable. dude, when those when those Nielsen ratings and stuff would come out and we literally you know, have have a rating that was like larger than yeah. the commercial radio station during like that hour. You know what I mean? During that yeah. hour, that was a big thing. When you you learn in radio, you know that ratings are what run radio because sponsorship is what runs radio. And you know, you were doing things in a lot of ways for ratings. And to have ratings as a college student, we took a lot of pride in that, yeah. and it was exciting. Naturally, you know, yeah. You know? I mean, it was it was a beautiful, such a dope radio station, and the Rockers was the reggae show afterwards. It was great, it was but great but for so long. But that was also a gateway into working in the music industry in some capacity since yeah. college, because they teach you and when you study broadcasting that the way to start working at a radio station is to go work for their street team, be yeah. in promotions. That's promotions was the way to get in. Yeah. And, when, and when me and Bubba and Billy first, uh, you know, moved out to L.A., like. Me and Bubba were doing the street team stuff, and that's when you know we're putting twenty posters up yeah, on one snipes, telephone snipes. pole back in you know West Hollywood, especially Grammy Week, oh, yeah. uh, Grammy Week, BET Week. Like that was big battles of uh, uh, you know getting yeah. out there for your street team and bombing in front of you know all the yeah. hot parties. Yeah, dude, I it was so dope to see you guys hustling so hard like that too. Because we had dope accounts visit. back then. Yeah, dude, you did. It was ill too because it'd be like working for people that we knew and fucked with, not personally, but I mean like artists that we liked. And Absolutely, shit. it was dope. It was dope. And then, dude, like you grinded your ass off to a point where you can like tell people what to do now. You're a boss. But that was like that was like the way. See, like I. 
here's here's what I see these days, and maybe you know I'm an older head, so maybe I'm not completely privy. Twenty seven. He's being. But generous. what what I see from the younger generation is they want to be in the spotlight, and I get all that. Yeah. But the thing is, there's a path to make money while trying to do the things that you love, and yeah. you figure out a lot of things along the way, like you know, being a DJ on the radio wasn't something I wanted to do after college because I wasn't always good at self-promotion. Yeah. You know? And that's when I decided to be, you know, behind the scenes on live performance and performances in general and be more of a tour manager, production manager. And, you know, that's something that can uh, is a career sustaining yeah. where you can, you know, pay your rent. Yeah, and, and have your have your ride, you know, have your German car. Yeah, there's know? not there's not room in the spotlight for everybody. And mm. I see a lot of people who, you know, Saddest thing in the world for me is like you know a forty-something-year-old rapper, someone who calls them that them, themselves that, and you know won't like work at a Starbucks or something. Like he's oh, you mean he's too good to work there? Yeah, because like in in reality, there's a lot of pathways to work in the music industry yeah. and a lot of different aspects of it. If that's what you know you're yeah. you're into and you love, and you yeah. can actually get a check. And promotions and street team was like a great example of that, and we sustained ourselves. For years, I'll yeah. have, you know, street teams. What do you think it was about uh, self-promotion that you don't like or that doesn't work well with you? What is it about that that you don't? Because I don't actually, like, contrary, I think, to popular belief maybe by a lot of people, even one, people that know me, I don't actually like attention, mm. you know? I don't actually, like, yeah, I like attention when we're feeding off each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like and, like, I love that, you know, but I, lo I love to feed off my people and like be the communal, nucleus of good energy and like you know at yeah. the right times to you know enjoy life you know self-promotion is like there is a direct correlation with attention like i clearly like attention actually i don't even know if i like it i think i just want or need it at some level but in a lot of levels i don't depending on my mood so when you have to do self-promotion you just do it all the time you, you know have to innate here's the thing you have to, to do self-promotion you have to innately be narcissistic to some level. I'm mild to some I level. Must mildly you be. have yeah. to be. Yeah. It literally requires it. If you don't have the ability to be narcissistic, you can't self-promote and you literally have to quit. So that's true. You know, it requires a certain level of narcissism. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, for and sure. And I think it's the narcissism that we see with like like Antonio Brown, for instance. Yeah. I'm not even gonna talk about how narcissistic he is on the sidelines. How narcissistic do you have to be to be a like all pro perennial all pro wide receiver, but also make really shitty rap records and really <laughs> shitty videos? Like that's narcissism <laughs> gone wrong. Like when you're like real nice in a thing and people are like, Wow, you're dope, you fly, you're fresh. Yeah, and then I, you I could do anything. Do, like, I could do anything. Delve into creative yeah. things that you're absolutely yeah. trash at. You see you that all the time. It. Dude, that is fucking self-promotion. There's like dudes who become stand-up comedians who are like at like 60 years old or something who are who've been famous actors. Or my famous brother just said that Ti started doing what? Uh, Ti the rapper. Tip. Ti. I don't know if it was the Laugh Factory or uh, oh, he did stand-up comedy. The store. I think I think my brother said Laugh Factory. Yo, you know when yeah. Ti sometimes? I bet, you, I bet you he's probably nice at it. He uses like a lot of like sometimes he tries to use like so many big words it sounds just. It don't work in this. It like you remember on in Living Color. I love when dudes do that. Do you remember in Living Color? Damon Wayans was the prisoner who would like make up big words. Shout and shit. out to Slain, authenticious, authenticious. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he did stand up. I feel like uh, 
Like, so if, I, if I'm, I'm like mildly narcissistic and that's why I can do self-promo, but the days when I'm not feeling myself, if I'm depressed, if I'm down, I'm tired, I don't want to do any promo. I don't want any attention. I don't, want, I don't even want to literally talk to anybody. Like I have to use my voice. But if you have to self-promote, you have to like lie to yourself and try to sell it to yourself on those days just to even yeah, do the I rather promo. I realized really early on I'd rather promote someone else. Yeah. Because like their project is, like their project is cool. And yeah. I'm like, there's no emotional attachment. Free you know of I mean? I'm not convincing you that I'm cool. I'm convincing you that this yeah. other person is That's cool. That's why, like, 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 my book and the podcast and writing shit, like, I don't even try to be cool. I'm like, yo, I'm on some bum-ass shit or I'm on some dumb... Look at this stupid shit I'm doing. Don't do this. <laughs> like, want to hear some embarrassing shit about me? Like, I ate my own myself, and that way I can self-promote and not feel like such a fucking dickhead, you know? Well, the interesting thing is, like, in these days we dickhead. do, to some level see people who do little to no self-promotion at all and still reach a level of like yeah. fandom and yeah. notoriety to the point where like it's their life now yeah yeah yeah. you know um and that's yeah dude you know what i'm just realizing i'm having like this epiphany sans psychedelics e-skills yeah uh eric if you're listening listen with your eyeballs he's dressed in all black black hat and come to think of it i don't think i've seen you in a color besides all black in years and that's indicative of your profession your career you know, when you work live music, you're encouraged to wear dawn dark attire. And this dude is, oh, I don't Show think I've, blacks. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've seen you in anything but black in years, dog. Like, yeah, well, think I mean, it. he's Johnny fucking Cash right shout now. Out, you are the shout man out black. to my uh, older Italian mentor, Vittorio Della Casa from uh, Eric Genoa, loves older Italy. Italian mentors too. Uh, you know, when, when I was a TM and he was PM. Tour manager, production manager. Yeah, uh, and it was also, you know, it was the Bloody Beatroots at the time. Th that was an electro-punk band. So really it was, you know, a punk band playing electronic music. So the whole thing was like, not only was stage crew in all black, but the band was in all black too. So back then it was just kind of like a determined... Even earlier than that, I was wearing black to shows, obviously, on yeah. show day. But that's when it was like, the crew wears black. You always wear black. And the reason I always wear black, honestly, is because I'm always working on the show. Like, yeah, it's all, Like, it's sometimes multiple you don't have time day, to So I'm like, yo, I gotta suit. have the black on. You know, there were years where I was literally going from one tour to the next door. You know, like, yeah. on a plane yeah. in succession. Dude, it's gonna be... I should just... You know, easy just, like, to shop for you, black dude. And stuff Easy and, to shop for you, know. you bro. I got, I know what to get you for your birthday next year, Christmas. Hell yeah, dude. Hanukkah, I got you, bro. St. Patty's Day, Easter, gifts for you. I know exactly what to get, dude. This is nice. It's hot, though. It's hot in black sometimes, right? Don't you think emo and like goth kids have a rough summer? The goth Absolutely. kids have a rough summer. Especially when they're wearing makeup. Oh, sweating that makeup off. I mean, just doing gigs in the summer shows in like Tempe, Arizona, or pick your hot place in the world. It's oh, like dude, brutal. we used to call. We used to call. Shout out to Vittorio. He when we do Lollapalooza, he would call it Lollafalooza. Oh, like dude. that. That's like <laughs> literally how hot it was. I like, might call the episode that. That's great. <laughs> like we that's were. True. Oh, the truck's at, back. Thanks a lot, truck. I've been at Lollapalooza in the, in July. Well, that's actually it's the first couple out days there of too, August. Bro. It's humid. The first couple fuck. days of August in Chicago, and man, it's literally like been a hundred and one before. Yeah, know? dude. I mean, I've done like uh, St. Louis in the summer in hundred and eight. Houston in hundred and eight. I've done France one of the in hottest the venues I've ever been to is this. Uh, a small venue, a small theater in Chico. I think it's called Chico, California. Yeah, in Chico, California. Shout out to Chico College Town. Pretty wild spot. Chico. Spot. 
been in there with a venue had no AC with oh, on tour with Zoo. Uh, shout out to Special Blend because he was there. Sweat box, and, dude. dude. Sweat box was like not sticky it was, shirts. Oh, dude. We were at front of house, like everything. The walls are just dripping, just dripping, yeah. dude. We oh. even have fans like pumping in the doors open, like no, dude. It's like you know when your tour bus the AC shits the bed that for like shit a was summer. Like the scene in Blade when the <laughs> when the when the blood just starts motherfuckers are just dripping, shining, ceiling, dude, like, looking like Patrick Ewing in the fourth quarter. Like, like you better not be on the mushrooms at that moment. Shit, dude, trippy, shiny, shiny like Simon, dude, just Simon on a regular Tuesday, sweating like a glazed donut. Yeah. From